This is an RNZ podcast. Tēnā koutou katoa and welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley and it's great to have you with us. This week, the $3 billion being fed to the regions. Who's getting it and how's it being spent? All the money in the Provincial Growth Fund has to be spent before the next election in the six so-called surge regions, provinces historically plagued with high unemployment and all the ills that go with it. The Minister in charge of that money, Shane Jones, wants to lift those regions out of the economic doldrums, but others worry about how it's being managed. But what do those getting funding to plant trees or run cultural centres think about the scheme? Lois Williams has been out speaking to some of them to find out where the money's going in Shane Jones' home region of Northland. At Waipareira Marae on the remote northern shore of Hokianga Harbour, the Whare is packed. More than 200 people, Māori and Pākehā, have braved the steep and muddy perils of Rangi Point Road to hear what Winston Peters and Shane Jones have to offer their isolated communities. The mood is buoyant and the guests of honour jovial. Can I introduce to you please the right honourable Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's with uh, some trepidation that I come to this place because I first came here 45 years ago. But I came back later on to open a community centre, and by the time I got back to Wellington, I'd been sacked. <laughs> And Shane Jones, homeboy and self-styled first citizen of the provinces, is also on good form, considering he nearly fell off the dilapidated local jetty when he stepped ashore with his leader. And get an engineer, I'm not coming back, and that jetty where I almost had to hold the hand of Winston Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> you have one of us fall in the tree. I can assure you the money would have been cancelled on the spot. The New Zealand First Leader and his deputy are in the wilds of Hokianga to announce the latest Northland projects to win support from the Provincial Growth Fund. The uh, Hokianga is one of the few places, perhaps a little bit like the East Coast and maybe Tuhoi, where there's a strong Māori population, but we have a desire to see what resources are here turned into uh, revenue-generating uh, opportunities. And it's tourism, that's manukahani, that's trees and obviously uh, ongoing infrastructure such as digital connectivity. The projects include $18 million for water storage projects in the Mid-North, internet connections for remote communities, digital business hubs in Dargaville, Kaitaia and Kaikohe, and forestry funding for two Māori groups. And the posse of officials they've brought with them are there to advise locals with ideas for other projects that might qualify. And at the moment you've got four workshops running and we've got big groups in there uh, very interested in learning more about what they've got to offer. Kevin Robinson is the chief executive of the Tararua Runanga, based in Kaitaia. His town's already felt the warm glow of PGF approval, $3 million for a multi-use sports hub that Mr Robinson says will transform the town. So all the Kaitaia communities behind that, of course, are, it's a fantastic development for uh, all of our sports-minded people. I just get, uh, when I drive past Kaitaia on a wet winter's night, uh, Thursday night, you see all of our young girls uh, out there under playing 
nip all under lights in the rain, you know, and I felt so sorry for them. So having a, a um, development such as a sports hub in Kaitai is going to be a fantastic thing for Kaitai. But of the latest announcements, it's the connectivity project that excites Mr Robinson most. He says while Hokianga roads are rubbish, internet services are even more dodgy. And while schools are connected, most homes are not. We've got really talented people that live elsewhere in this country from Te Raro, and they'd love to come home, but they've got no connectivity or internet connection to be able to bring their businesses to start up here. And so that brings a whole new opportunity if we've got uh, fast broadband and um, connectivity. I mean, the, the ideal is to run uh, fibre to the home and through all of these communities. But of course, the big telcos won't do that. It's too expensive. And on behalf of the district and particularly from the people of North Oganga here today, thank you both and the government for what you're doing for us. Can we put our hands together? The warm Hokianga welcome is typical of scenes around the north since the first flurry of growth fund projects was approved last year. Shane Jones and other ministers have been flying in and revealing funding approvals to loud applause from mayors, business people, iwi and community groups who seem faintly astonished at their good fortune. Andrew Garrett fronted the campaign for the $26 million Hundertwasser Arts Centre in Whangarei. 60 people are now at work on the site, and that number will rise to more than 80 as the build progresses. But Mr Garrett says despite Herculean fundraising efforts, the project was still a few million dollars short and in danger of falling through when the growth fund came to the rescue last year. Uh, for me and a, a bunch of people like myself who've been working for the project for a number of years, to actually get underway and the thing is actually going to happen um, is monumental and uh, it's actually quite emotional for me really. Whangarei projects have been granted more than $17 million from the fund to date but there's suspicion in some quarters about how it's run and who benefits. Here's a snapshot of local opinion gathered at the City Library. Uh, based on what I've heard um, over the radio recently, it all sounds a bit dodgy. I think at the end of the day you'll find that the, the, the funds are spread reasonably across the board, so I, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't hang on that one. It's about time we saw a, some evaluation of what they have done or doing, because like their fiasco up north where they forgot to clear the land to put the seeds in, have they cleared the land ready for this year? Shane Jones is having all these trees planted and it's giving work to the locals up north and I think it's a great thing. There's some politics behind it obviously as well and how much mana he's going to get from the funding. It's sort of going nowhere. It's been described as the billion dollar lolly scramble. If it's going to make Shane Jones look pretty then I guess those ones go to the top of the list. I think he's looking after the bros. He's looking after the family. The biggest Northland grant of $14 million is for the building of a new museum at Waitangi to memorialise the 28th Māori Battalion, the smallest, 59000 for a feasibility study on restoring Lake Omapere. All up, there are 46 projects approved for funding, from roads to forestry schemes and cultural centres, and for a time last year, every second project seemed to be a Northland one. New Zealand First was accused of pork-barrel politics, showering the North with goodies to bolster the electoral fortunes of Shane Jones and Winston Peters in their home province. 
the ACT MP, David Seymour, dubbed the Provincial Growth Fund the Shane Jones Election Fund, and Nationals' Paul Goldsmith challenged the propriety of some of the projects. For example, one of the first announcements was you know, $11 million for a roundabout uh, just down the road from the Kerikeri Airport, um, which happened to just be down the road from where Shane Jones lived. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, there are you know, potentially hundreds of uh, big roundabouts around the country that you could, in theory, fund. Um, you know, it's not the only roundabout, uh, and, and, but they chose that one. And, and I suppose where people became a little anxious and where we became anxious was Shane Jones's response in Parliament in the Select Committee to those sorts of questions was, uh, you know, that arrogant line, well, to the victor goes the spoils uh, and to the winner goes the booty. And, uh, and so it's not surprising that we're, you know, we're, we're a little cynical about the nature of the fund and the politicisation of it. Shane Jones scoffs at the idea that he might personally benefit from the building of a roundabout. <laughs> Fortunately for me, the NZTA roundabout is uh, not on the way to the airport. <laughs> but hey, look, I do look close to the roundabout, but in fairness to the Far North District Council, they've been howling about fixing that roundabout for about 25 years. Uh, but I, I think that the point that's being made is that these projects carry risk. We could have outsourced the risk and just given all the project authority to directors, lawyers and accountants sitting on boards like grandees. I can guarantee you, bigger all would have happened. If you want in a three-year uh, political cycle to get things done, you've got to take a responsibility and a risk and make the decisions on the best available advice. And where there's a little bit of policy backfilling to do, then get on with it. But I'm very much about making decisions and delivering in an operational context and not being constipated with policy. The Regional Council Chair Bill Shepherd says the reason so many Northland projects got the nod is that the region's Economic Development Agency already had dozens costed out and ready to go. Most of the projects that have been funded so far have been projects that came through the Taitaukara Northland Economic Action Plan. Those were projects that have been worked up through the, the various organisations within the communities and they had been looked at and formed part of a plan so they weren't overnight dreams, something that somebody had dreamed up. The previous government did provide some basic funding to help with getting the plan sorted out and getting it in place, but it was Northland said what would be in the plan. And the latest figures show Northland has not in fact had the lion's share of the growth fund money. The Regional Council economist Darrell Jones says it's had less than two other regions. Northland has been allocated about, uh, from the PGF projects in Northland, have been allocated about $100 million. That actually ranks Northland as the third region in terms of uh, the value of PGF funding going towards them. Uh, Tarafiti and the West Coast have been allocated uh, a greater quantum of money than, than, than Northland projects. And then in addition to those regions, there are actually multi-regional projects, projects which are looking to benefit more than that aren't regional specific, um, things in the, in the digital area, in the roading area, for example, that's the, it's received the largest proportion of funding to date. Northland is obviously going to look to try and benefit from some of those, but we actually rank third across the regions. Last year, March 2018, Northland would have received as a region, would rank number one. But over time, our ranking has, uh, has fallen as other regions have come up with their own projects and initiatives and been approved for funding.
At Otiria Marainu Moriwa last month, local school children sang to celebrate the arrival of the first 20 trainees for Ngatihine's forestry planting venture. It's one of several joint ventures the government's formed with Māori in the north. Hapu have the land, their people need work, and the government wants a billion trees planted to meet its commitments under the Paris Climate Accord. In the past, Māori landowners like the Ngātihine Forestry Trust have been burned by forestry deals. Their elders leased the land to forestry companies and ended up after 30 years with so little they couldn't afford to replant. Ngātihine Chair Peter Tipene says this time around everyone wins. From Shane Jones, who's famously keen to get some of his nephews off their sofas, to the trainees earning while they learn how to work. What we have to provide is will ensure is that there are real jobs at the end of it for the trainees and whether we like it or not there'll be some natural attrition because they all have to have drug tests and they're all going to have to get out of bed and some of them are finding it a little bit difficult to get out of bed but we've got a great set of tutors and people on the ground who are supporting them and it takes a while but uh, it's really about a culture change on the street. The Ngātihene project hit a glitch last year when the Trust realised it couldn't clear enough gorse in time to plant all the trees MPI had ordered. $160,000 worth of seedlings had to be mulched. The Trust took the blame for miscalculating and says it'll make up the tree numbers this winter. But critics saw the error as a sign the provincial fund was not being well managed. Paul Goldsmith says it's inevitable that when a government is shoveling so much money into so many projects in such a short time, mistakes will be made. And he says it's not the way to run regional development. How do you get growth in Northland? Well, the biggest driver of growth is investment, private sector investment, somebody somewhere coming in, uh, investing in a new company, starting a new uh, industry buying new plant and equipment, expanding, taking on workers. It all comes back to somebody choosing to invest. Now, now the reality is that so many things that the government has done have undermined confidence and business confidence and reduced investment. When we talk about economic development, we talk about the whole broad picture of everything that government's doing in order to create an environment, uh, not just in the regions but throughout the whole of New Zealand, where people can invest and grow their businesses. That's what we talk about in terms of regional economic development. It's not just providing a, what frankly is a slush fund uh, for one minister to spend. But in places like Hokianga, where communities feel forgotten by governments, they have a different perspective. In Omapere, the well-respected kaumatua John Clarisich spoke up last month to defend Shane Jones. Mr Clarisich heads the trust that's been granted funding for a tourist venture for the town, the Footsteps of Kupe Centre. When Shane Jones assured Cabinet colleagues its governance would be secure under the council company Far North Holdings, he was accused of improper behaviour because he'd earlier promoted the venture as a Northland MP. To John Clarisich, comments like Mr Goldsmith's are simply unfair. The development, financial development of our country, of New Zealand, in the first instance was reliant on the extraction of kauri, you know, it, it must amount to millions and millions of dollars in today's money. Yet when you look at the area from whence it was extracted, there's nothing there that would say any residual benefit. So I, I think 150 years later or 100 years later, I think it's a good investment for our country to make contribution back into those places that once contributed to the common good. 
I'm Lois Williams and you're listening to an insight program on whether Northland is getting more than its fair share of the Provincial Growth Fund. Shane Jones says managing perceived partiality is not easy when, like most Māori, he's related to so many in the North or he's tried to help them in the past. Where there have been um, niggles and where I've found it particularly challenging is my historical associations. You never completely get that right because obviously in the north I've had such a long varied involvement with Pākehā, Māori and also there's an expectation to be an effective politician. I am connected. I mean I can't shy away from that and some you get absolutely right and others people feel are borderline. But Shane Jones says it would be a mistake to think he's calling all the shots when it comes to who gets what from the fund. The machinery behind the Provincial Growth Fund involves an independent advisory panel and about 100 staff working in Wellington and in the regions. Projects worth less than a million dollars are approved or declined by 10 senior government officials from a range of ministries. Grants between 1 and 20 million are assessed by four cabinet ministers, including Mr Jones, and projects over 20 million must have the nod from cabinet. In Hokianga, six-year-olds from Miti Miti can tell the story of their homeland in an ancient chant. Omaperi's Footsteps of Kupe Centre aims to tell that story to visitors. It's one of five projects being managed by Far North Holdings that have won support from the Provincial Growth Fund. There's the Bay of Islands airport upgrade, the renovation of wharves at Opua, Paihia and Russell, a tourism hub for Kawakawa, and what's described as an innovation and enterprise park near Kaikohe, based on geothermal power from Ngafa. All up, nearly $14.6 million worth of projects. Far North Holdings is the commercial arm of the Far North District Council, and its chief executive, Andy Nock, says the projects, with the exception of the Enterprise Park, are linked. They're all part of a planned tourism trail that leads from Whangare right up to Cape Reinga. Most of the projects that we've taken through the PGF have been projects which have been at various stages of development, but most of them had probably had two years' worth of work prior to the PGF actually coming along. So we obviously took the opportunity to apply uh, as quickly as we could, uh, and we were fortunate we had all the right criteria in terms of material available, uh, and so we submitted those as soon as they were ready. Mr Knox says the vetting process by the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment's Provincial Development Unit was a rigorous one. It's declined about 70 suggested projects in the north and has another 50 in the pipeline for approval. But two of the Bay of Islands projects have also attracted some controversy, Kawakawa's Tourism Hub and the Russell Wharf. In the case of the wharf, the council's agreed that if it's ever to be sold, it'll be to the Russell Wharf Trust, the trust was founded by the business people who've restored Russell's historic Duke of Marlborough Hotel, a venue favoured by New Zealand First for electoral events and celebrations. Nigel Zambuka is one of a number of locals suspicious of the sale clause who fear the old wharf will be upgraded with public money, then commercialised and effectively controlled by a private trust. And he says that's a political risk for Shane Jones. I think the risk is, is that, that it can be manipulated, the, the present deal and the structure of it, that it can be manipulated and he'll leave the community 
outside with with no influence at all totally lost control of uh, the whole wharf the whole the whole surrounding area and he'll look really bad for not have taken it seriously enough to actually warrant a, a thorough analysis of the documentation. Shane Jones is quick to distance himself from the idea of any potential difficulty. I know absolutely nothing about either the government or local government um, having a side deal with the owners of the Duke of Marlborough. The knowledge I have of the Duke of Marlborough owners is simply as a, as a consumer, as a guest, and for a small community, Russell seems to generate a lot of falsehoods, a lot of paranoia. Andy Nock of Far North Holdings says the sale option was simply a safeguard against a worst-case scenario for the Trust, which has raised funds for the wharf in the past. And he says a sale is not on the cards. It's a strategic asset for the Far North. We would never sell it. We may pass it back to Far North District Council if they require it or for some reason in the future it's, it's passed back. And if they decide to sell it, I can't see them selling it either. Kawakawa, behind the famous Hondratvasak toilets, the builders are hard at work on the foundations of Te Hononga, a rammed earth building that's set to become the town's cultural centre, gallery and tourist hub. Te is named for the tokotoka, the carved walking stick, presented to the artist Hondratvasa, who lived nearby and built the public toilets that have made the little town a tourist magnet. The project's had a grant of $2.3 million from the fund, along with half a million from the regional council. The builders have already taken on one local apprentice and 22 trainees joined the crew this week. Peter Tipani, who's on the trust that's behind it, says Tohononga itself won't employ a lot of people, a fact trumpeted recently by its critics, but its economic impact on the town has been calculated at nearly $2 million a year in extra business. I, I know on one particular day when a cruise ship came into the Bay of Islands, uh, 720 of the passengers specifically wanted to come into Kawakawa. So literally busloads of tourists come into Kawakawa to have a look at the toilet. But beyond the toilet, you know, they want to see more of Hantavasa. So this will provide them with, with that opportunity. Bill Shepherd, dairy farmer and regional council chair, says that's exactly the way economic development should work. Sometimes you need a catalyst to actually get not only the, the, the project itself that's being funded, but other people that are operating businesses or considering operating businesses around that central project, when they see the project, the catalyst, then they can see, oh, there's an opportunity for me, and that's where the real benefit is in, e in economic development. Those opportunities are now galvanising private enterprise in Whangarei and further north. Local investors are planning a luxury hotel and conference centre over the river from the colourful building. And just up the road from Moiriwa, the owner of a local bakery has invested his own money to capitalise on the Billion Trees plan. Some days we have about six or seven of us up here. Yeah. yeah, when it comes to transplant. On whānau land in a quiet valley, Dave Bristow has created a manuka nursery. I built a shed to germinate my seeds in, and I've got over 250,000 seeds in here. 
Since last winter, the entrepreneurial bakery owner and his uncles, both in their 70s, have raised 120,000 young trees. They hire local labour to transplant the seedlings and they have orders for all of them. I started this time last year. Right. I had all my seedlings in my house in Moirua, at the back of my house. Because somebody said to me, my best mate Machitani said to me, you need to get into Manuka growing because that's going to be the trend. With me owning a bakeries and that, and I was a bit sick of the bakeries and all that because I'm an outside person. I'm actually, the funniest thing is how it works out is that I clear felt Nati Hine back in the day 30 years ago. I worked in Nati Hine. I was one of the, you know, one of the crews in there that cleared, fell, and we planted pine, and nearly the pine they're taking out now. So I'm growing native trees to put back into the, <laughs> to the same Nati Hine forest, and it's not too bad. So then he told me to get in, have a go, Dave, and see how you go. So my mate Johnny Hay that works, he had a nursery in Pyro Bay at the back of Russell, and he kind of helped me to do it, and that's what I've done. I've studied everything, Shane Jones from his office gave me booklets and all that and then you know I think with the government that's in now it's giving us Māori people an opportunity to do something on the funeral. Dave Bristow is now talking expansion building a bigger nursery near Kaikohe but despite the success stories stigma persists that the region's only growing on the back of charity. In Whangarei the Hihiowa Trust was granted a million dollars from the Provincial Growth Fund. It's been raising funds for more than a decade for a cultural and waka centre and theatre. The secretary, Janet Hetaraka, says the trust had to jump through many hoops to qualify. It's government money. You have to apply very stringent reporting, ensuring that you are the guardian of the money while you've got it and you're only spending it on exactly what it's given for. We're very, very conscious of that. And again, you know, there's all the audit accounting and then auditing. It's it's not no mean feat and you cannot take it lightly. We're very mindful that we are in a fishbowl too, that people look and expect us to not do well on those things, but we actually, I think, are exceptionally good at that. Despite that, Mrs Hetaraka says the Trust's hard-won grant was described by a major newspaper as a handout. Oh, that was really disappointing because it's so many hard-working people involved, particularly with this project, who have sweeter blood. <laughs> it was just an insult, really. So far, the Provincial Growth Fund has committed $1.7 billion nationally, about 40% of it to forestry, and about 10% of it to Northland projects. The Ministry of Business says nationally 187 projects have been announced and 560 jobs created as a result of the investments. It says the fund is on track to create approximately 10,000 new jobs as the projects ramp up and begin delivery. The Far North Mayor John Carter says despite the doubters, he's one old Tory who thoroughly approves. He says the Provincial Growth Fund has raised spirits right across the region and it reminds him of the government's employment schemes of the 70s and 80s when community projects gave people work and a sense of worth. And it changed the community. All of a sudden, instead of them being shut out of the community, which often they are, they've become part. They, you know, they built the footpaths, they built the toilets, they did things for themselves with the support of the council and the government and it was successful. And a consequence was that you got positivity from the people 
because they felt they were part of our community again. And that's what this is doing. It's bringing people back, people who have been shut out. Suddenly they come back into our community and they become part of it. And there's hope and there's excitement and it's just bloody great to see. That programme was written and presented by Lois Williams. If you'd like to podcast some more long-form journalism, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz slash insight, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today. Join us again next time.